We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Aren't you glad that God is still working? I'm so thankful for these stories. Yes, there's hardship. Yes, there's hard times, but God is still on the throne. Amen. And he is doing a new thing. He's doing, we say it's a new thing. God's word says that you're doing a new thing. So you have already begun it. And Isaiah, he talks about it. But for God, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. So he continues to do what God does, and we get the opportunity to respond in new ways. And so I'm excited for that. I want to jump right in today to the message. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Luke. We're going to be in Luke 15 in just a minute. Uh, I want us to discover today what it means to follow Jesus today. What it means to follow Jesus today. And you might be saying, well, what, is, what does that really mean? Well, just to hang with me for a minute, we're going we're gonna to talk about that because God's word points us to what it means to follow Jesus today. We're going to be in Luke's Gospel 15, but I want to read to you from Matthew 4 first. Matthew 4, 18 to 20. You follow along as I read this passage from Jesus calling his disciples. As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When I read this passage, this is a familiar passage to those of us that have been in the church for a while. We've probably heard many messages on this. When Jesus calls his disciples to to follow him. He calls them and says, follow me. And their response in this passage was they immediately followed him. Now, if we're going to follow Jesus today, this kind of scenario would play out in a little bit different way. How many of you as parents or grandparents have taught your kids or grandkids stranger danger? Anybody ever taught their kids that? A couple of you. Okay. The rest of you, you probably would have no reason to hear this, so you can tune out for just a minute. But in our world today, I know that there's so many people in our world that are just unsafe for our kids to be around. And if somebody just came up to them and said, hey, why don't you follow me? I'm going to teach you something and our kids just immediately went with them, we would be a little skeptical, wouldn't we? And we would begin to ask questions. Well, where are you going? What are you going to be doing? When will you be home? Are you going to be able to eat? Are you going to be able to take care of yourself? You see, these so many questions in today's world. of we, It's hard for us, I would say, if we're honest with one another, to immediately follow. But Peter and Andrew, they followed Jesus, and they began to follow Jesus closely. You may say today that following Jesus is a little bit different today than it was then. But as we just described in Hebrews, the writer says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I would argue with us today, or I would proclaim to you from God's word, that Jesus is the same and still invites us present day disciples, follower, to follow him. Jesus still commands us. He summons us to say, you are doing whatever you're doing. I want you to come and follow me, and I'll teach you a different way. Come and follow me. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means he's still calling us to follow him today as he was his disciples many years ago. One thing that Peter and Andrew did not ask, but I think we would want to know today if we were going to follow Jesus in the same way, is where is he going? 
Where is Jesus going? I believe this is extremely relevant to our conversation because if we're going to commit our lives to follow Jesus closely, we need to know where he's going. What is his destination? Let me tell you a quick story. You see, when we follow people closely, when we unite with them together in a purpose, we need to understand what the end game is. The year was 2005, the summer of 2005, and I had just moved to Wichita, Kansas. And my parents were working at the church, and I was at their house. I didn't have a job yet, but I was kind of making the rounds and filling out applications and, and trying to find a job. And so I decided this morning I was going to go into the church and just see my mom and dad and visit them. And, and at their church, there was a daycare in their church. And so as I pulled up into the church parking lot, I had to find a place to park because all of the teachers and the staff were parked in the parking lot. But there was a spot right up front. I was like, God's favor was on me that day, I guess. I don't know. And I pulled my little Kia Spectra up there, little red car, and got out of the car. And there were two teachers out with their kids. It was summertime, and they were playing in the water. And I said hi and waved at them and walked inside. And I visited with my mom and, and my dad and, and did what I needed to do. Little did I know that those two teachers began talking about me. And one of those teachers began saying, you know what, I really want to meet that guy. He's pretty good looking. I really want to meet him. The other teacher said to her, she said, you know, that's the pastor's son. I don't care. I want to meet him. I want to meet that guy. So we fast forward a little bit, and that one teacher that wanted to meet me was my wife, Alicia. She was not a Christian. She was not going to church. She was not following the Lord at all. She just happened to work at a church. So, you know, unbeknownst to me, I filled out an application that day at the daycare and got a job at the daycare and began working alongside Alicia. So she got to meet me. I got to meet her. We started talking. We started, we started getting interested in one another. And as we began to date and, and get to know one another, I began to tell Alicia where I was headed in my life. I began to tell her, you know, I'm a pastor's son, but I also have a calling to ministry. And as we began dating and getting serious, I said, is this going to be okay with you? Because you need to know where I'm going if you want to come with me. And as we continued to date and get to know each other, she decided, you know what, I like your destination. I want to go with you. And as we began to, I'm fast forwarding and skipping a lot, we began dating and she accepted the Lord. She began coming to church with me and, and we began doing life together and, and we got married and started a family and began ministry. And as we came together as two people becoming one, we looked at each other at some point and made the decision, I like where you're going and I want to go with you. I like the destination that you're set out for, and I want to go with you. You see, that all started a little bit selfishly. As I walked up, I was just a good-looking, handsome young man. And Alicia's selfishness was, I want to meet that good-looking guy. But as the longer we traveled this life together, the more that our relationship became less and less selfish, and more and more selfless. You see, the closer we walked together, the more that I wanted to do for her and she wanted to do for me, it wasn't about 
our own wants and our own desires. And so I want to challenge us this morning. The longer that we follow Jesus, the more and more we should look like him. The more and more our selfish desires for following Jesus should be changed to selfless desires to do what he wants. Amen? So I want us to find out where Jesus is going today so we can answer that question. Are we willing to follow Jesus still today? In scriptures, the gospels, in the gospels, Jesus speaks in parables. He tells stories to his people to reveal a spiritual truth. He would tell a story, and usually he would tell a, a parable or a story to reveal one spiritual truth. It's, it's very rare, but in, in scripture there are a few times, mainly in Matthew's gospel, where Jesus would actually tell two parables or two stories to explain one spiritual truth. And, and I think of those times, and as a preacher, there's been times where I've preached on those, and I say to people, if he's going to repeat it, we better pay attention. Amen? I think God knows that sometimes we need to be hit over the head a couple times before we get the picture. So Jesus does that a couple times, and, and he shares two parables to reveal one spiritual truth. But there's only one time in all of Jesus' life on here on earth where he shared three stories for one spiritual truth. Three stories for one spiritual truth. And that's what I want us to look at today to reveal to us this one truth will show us where Jesus is going. So let's take a look. Luke chapter 15. These are the stories of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son or the prodigal son. We're going to read the first two and then I want to summarize the prodigal son because it's a little bit longer and I don't want to take all the time to read that whole thing, but we'll talk about it in just a minute. So follow along with me as I read from God's Word. Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse number 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness, and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of those coins, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of, in the, of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. These two stories are very familiar to us. And then Jesus goes on to tell the third story of the prodigal son. You see, it's one father who had two sons, and at one point in their life, one of the sons says, you know what, I'm tired of this. Father, give me my inheritance. I want to go out on my own. And as you read that story, you see that the son goes off, and he squanders all of the wealth that his father gives him. He lives a life that is not a godly life. He lives a life for self, and he loses everything. The other son stayed home and continued to work for his father. But as the son that left lost everything and is alone one day, eating the same food of the pigs that he's caring for. 
he realized, you know what, I could go home and apologize to my father. And I could work for him and be better off than I am now. And the entire time the son was gone, the father, the the word tells us, the father looked for him every single day. The lost son begins to come home and begins to apologize. And before he even gets to the place, the, the word tells us that the father was looking out on the horizon and saw the son coming and ran to the son. And then the father rejoiced and celebrated because the lost son had come home. So these three stories, all three similar. Jesus tells all three right there together. Why? Because we need to get the spiritual truth of where he is going. So I want us to look at this. If you're taking notes, there's a little chart in your outline, and I want us to talk about this for just a minute. There's there's things in this story, and there's, there's a person or something that represents God in every one of these stories. Then there's, there's certain things that represent being in the wrong place, and then there's others that are the right place. So let's look at the first story. In the first story, we see that the shepherd represents God. The shepherd represents God. And in this story, in the wrong place, there is one sheep that has gone astray, that is out of the fold. And we see that there are 99 sheep in the right place. They're safe. They're secure. They're in the pen. And so I would venture to say that many of us, if, as we're here on a Sunday morning, we would probably look at our own lives and say, you know what, I'm probably in the 99. I'm probably in the right place. I'm probably okay. But maybe you can look back on your time in your life where you were the one sheep that had gotten out. And what was the shepherd or what was God doing for the one? We'll talk about that in just a minute. The next story, the woman represents God in this story. She has the 10 silver coins. She realizes as she's taking inventory that one of those coins is in the wrong place. She cannot find it. The other nine coins are in the right place. They're secure. They're where she knows they're at. But she turns everything upside down. For the one coin. Then in the third story, we see that the father represents God in this story. The father represents God, and he has one son that is in the wrong place that wants to just go and do his own thing. And then he has another son that was in the right place, and we could talk about that in a different light because he still disobeyed and didn't live exactly the way he was supposed to, but he stayed safe at home, the one son. But in all three of these stories, the shepherd, the woman, and the father represent God to us in this story, in this truth that we need to find. And in these two areas, they get God's main focus. We see these things in these, in these stories that God's main focus is the wrong place. God's main focus is the sheep, the coin, the son. Jesus' main focus is, when he was here on earth, was on those that were lost. Amen? Jesus' main focus is on that which is lost. And that, my friends, is where Jesus is going. Jesus is going to seek and to save the lost. Amen? 
Jesus is going to the wrong places. Jesus is going to the places where we think he shouldn't go at times. We're like, it's safe over here. It's okay over here. But Jesus is going to find the sheep that's lost. He's turning over the house to find the coin that is misplaced. He's going after the son when they had turned around to come home. And still so many times when we're that lost sheep or that lost coin or that lost son, we think, you know what? Our, we're God's main focus. We're the attention. God is giving us everything. And it still is a self-focused life. And then there's times when we probably have made that transition where we're in the fold and we're the 99 or the 9 and, and we're in a good place. And we think, you know what? I'm following Jesus, but we're not real close and we're getting more distance between us. And we think it should still be all about us. But Jesus says to us in those moments, hey, hey guys, I'm going this way. I'm going for the lost. And he looks back at us and he says, I want you to follow me still. And I don't want you just to follow me to church and to all the good places and the safe places. I'm going out here where people are lost, where they're broken and where they're hurting. Will you still come with me? Will you still follow me? There's times when I believe that Jesus is going to get the lost and he looks back at us and he says, are you still coming? Are you still following me when it's hard? Are you still gonna follow me when it doesn't seem like it's the right thing in your mind? And Jesus says to us, just like he did to Andrew and to Peter, come follow me, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. Follow me. They left immediately. And we see as time goes on that following Jesus closely is the key. Because the closer we are to Jesus, the, the easier it is to hear his voice. The easier it is to understand that we're close. We're in this relationship. We're going in the right direction. We have to realize today as Christians this very key truth. If the destination is something other than the lost then it's not Christianity. Let me say that again. If the destination is something other than the lost, then it's not Christianity. Well, pastor, we do so many good things at the church. Yes, we do. But if our focus isn't on one more lost sheep, we've missed it. If the focus isn't on turning this place upside down to find that one lost coin, then Jesus isn't gonna be there. Jesus is going after the lost. Jesus wants us to follow him. Amen? You see, you have no idea what might happen when you say yes and start following Jesus immediately. It's, it could change your life. It could change your family's life. It could change the history of what you know. Let me tell you another story. I want to show you a couple of pictures. These are a couple of friends of mine on, the, on your left-hand side in the uniform there uh, is my friend Ryan. Ryan, uh, Ryan and I, we uh, grew up together in Pueblo, Colorado. And as you can see, this is a pretty recent picture of Ryan. He is a, uh, a police officer in, in Elkhart, Indiana, and has a wonderful family and doing great to protect and to serve. Amen. And uh, I thank the Lord for Ryan and his life. See, Ryan and I were good friends growing up in, in our teenage years, and Ryan was a year younger than me in school, but 
our families were pretty close. And, and Ryan uh, and his family were going through a hard time. His, his mom walked out on their family. And Ryan was 12 years old at the time. I was 13 at the time. He has an older sister and a younger brother that were right in the same age as my siblings were. And so as my mom and dad tried to help his mom and dad kind of restore their relationship, which was kind of a hard cause, I remember vividly at 12, 13 years old, my dad saying to me, BJ, it's time for you to be Jesus to Ryan. So for me at that age, it meant playing basketball, football, hanging out, spending the night together. See, Ryan had a temper. He would fly off the handle. And this didn't help things. He was mad at his mom. He was mad at his dad. He was mad at life. He was mad at God. And he would just fly off. And there were times where he would fly off and he'd go after somebody. And I'd wrap my arms around Ryan. I'd say, man, just calm down. It's going to be okay. And Ryan decided, you know what? I need Jesus in my life. And we'd go to church together, and we, we'd go do things together, and it was such a cool time. And I talked about this a few weeks ago. One of the big events we had was, a, a, it was equivalent to a spiritual life retreat that the teens are about to go on. But it was our weekend retreat that we went to, and Ryan went this year with me that year, and Ryan got radically rededicated to Jesus. And Ryan started following Jesus real close. And we had this great service that weekend and Ryan had rededicated his life and he's crying and he's emotional and he comes to me and we're praying together and he's like, BJ, we gotta tell Greg about Jesus. See that other picture's Greg. Greg was a friend of mine. He was a neighbor of mine actually and so when we'd go play as boys do, Greg was always there with us and Ryan and their brothers and Greg had two brothers that played with us and my brother, and so we were all hanging out together, and Ryan had a burden for Greg. So we get back home, and and Ryan asked Greg to go play basketball with us one Sunday night. See, what we we did on Sunday nights is we'd go early to church, because church started at 6, but we'd go at 5 and play basketball. Well, Ryan didn't tell Greg we were going to church. He just said, we're going to go play basketball. And Greg was all excited, so Greg came to play basketball with us, and and we were playing basketball, and then all of a sudden it was 6 o'clock, and it was time for church to start, so we put the balls away, and we said, come on, Greg, we're going to go to church now. And he mumbled and grumbled, and he knew he'd been tricked. (laughs) But as we went to church that night, we began talking about restoration and how God can heal broken hearts. And Greg didn't know anything about God or about church or about Jesus. But that night it came time to pray and we began to talk, taking requests publicly at the altar. And Greg was sitting with Ryan and I and he looked at Ryan and he said, Ryan, my parents are fighting all the time. I think they're going to get a divorce. Will you pray for my parents? (laughs) Ryan, who'd just been through all of that hell, started praying for Greg. We went to school the next day. Greg called us up on Wednesday. He said, hey, can I go to church with you guys? Greg started coming to church with us and playing basketball in the gym, and we kept praying for his family. 
Then one Sunday morning, we didn't even ask him to come to church with us on a Sunday morning, and we're sitting there ready for church to start after Sunday school, and in through the back doors walks Greg, and he waves us down, and about three or four steps behind Greg was his parents, Jerry and Sandy. They came in and sat down and began attending church together, began following Jesus, all because Ryan decided to follow Jesus closely. Ryan decided that it mattered to be close to Jesus. When Jesus said follow, he was right there with him and Jesus was going after Greg. And Ryan wanted to be a part of it. So as we think about that, it's important that we get close to Jesus when we're following him because the further away we get from Jesus, the more selfish our thoughts can begin to take place. And we see that as we reconnect this to Scripture. Peter is following Jesus. He'd spent three years following Jesus. And sometime later in Jesus' life, we read this in Matthew 26. It says, but Peter followed Jesus, him, at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. And he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. You see, Peter had been distanced from Jesus at this point. He's watching Jesus get arrested. He's watching Jesus go to trial. And Peter is at a distance. He's not real close anymore. But he's watching. He's still seeing. He's still looking. And we know what happens in these moments as Peter gets further away from Jesus. Somebody sees Peter and says, Peter, you're one of them. He says, no, I'm not. He said, yes, you are. You're one of them. I've seen you. You have the accent. No, I'm not. And he curses the person. Finally, he's still following at a distance. And somebody spots him again and says, yes, you are one of them. And you know the story how it goes. Peter denies Jesus a third time. And as soon as he does, he remembers that Jesus told him that that was going to happen. You see, when we follow Jesus at a distance, it's easier for us to do it our own way. When we follow Jesus at a distance, it's easier for our selfish thoughts to ease back in and say, you know what, I don't really want to go down that road today. I don't really want to go over it. I know, Jesus, you're going after the lost sheep, but man, it seems like we've looked over there. I don't want to go over there anymore. And we do our own thing. You see, the longer the distance in our following of Jesus, the more our focus will be on ourselves and not the lost. But the closer we get in our following of Jesus, the more our focus will be on the lost and not of ourselves. Jesus is saying to us, follow me. I'm going to the lost. Will you keep coming with me? I want to close with this last story. We like to, well, we like to cruise as a family. One of the things that was really cool about cruising is comparing some of the ships Many of you have probably heard the story about one of the first cruise ships, the Titanic. This is a picture of that ship. Done some studying on this ship and the, the maiden voyage that it took. This ship in this, in this picture looks pretty big. And in fact, at the time it was built, it was the biggest man-made object that was ever made. And it set out to sail across the ocean to come to America on its maiden voyage, and as things are going on, as you know the story, it hit an iceberg in the middle of the night and began to take on water. 
You see, but the Titanic, when they built the Titanic, they, they had to build for these, these possibilities. And so one of the things on any cruise ship and all cruise ships, and even on the Titanic, there are smaller ships that are on the ship. They are called lifeboats. Here's a picture of some of those lifeboats. Those don't look very big, but those lifeboats on the Titanic were built to hold 70 people apiece. 70 people could fit into these lifeboats if something were to go wrong. And it took, once, that, once the Titanic hit the iceberg, it took three and a half hours for the ship to sink. And as the ship was going down and people knew what was happening, they began to go to the lifeboats and they began to direct people to the lifeboats. And they began to put people on these boats and lower them into the water and they would row to safety. In the first hour that people were being loaded into these lifeboats, there were supposed to be 70 people per boat, and they were loading them with about 12 to 30 people on each boat. So the reality was that they knew they were expecting that people were going to go down with the ship. As the ship began to sink, the boats were going out. There was a man on this journey by the name of John Harper. John Harper, maybe some of you know his story. John Harper was an evangelist, and he was coming to the States to come to Chicago, Illinois, in fact, to preach an evangelistic crusade, to tell people about Jesus. And John Harper was on the Titanic, but John Harper wasn't alone on the Titanic. He had his little six-year-old daughter, Annie Jessie, with him. And I think I have a picture. There's the two of them together. Little Annie Jessie was with him on this ship as they were coming to America. And as they heard about the ship hitting the iceberg, John took his daughter, his pride and joy, and took her to a lifeboat and got her settled into a lifeboat. Nobody in their wildest dreams would have ever faulted John Harper to get on that lifeboat with his daughter. But John Harper made sure his daughter was safe and secure and taken care of. And then John Harper went back onto the ship. And he began banging on the cabin doors. Believe in the Lord Jesus and he will save you. Believe in the Lord Jesus and he will save you. You see, John Harper, as the stories are told, realized that he was going to meet Jesus sooner than he had hoped. But he realized that there were people on that ship that didn't know Jesus. And so he was going to go and seek the lost. He puts his daughter, he races and bangs on the cabins and, and tells people, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The ship began to sink and finally sank. And some people say the second tragedy of the Titanic really happened as those lifeboats that were in the water began to row away from the Titanic, even though they were not full and John Harper, as the stories are told, is, finds a piece of de debris and is floating in the water. And he's screaming out and yelling in the pitch black of the cold ocean water, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Hours go by. He continues to scream out this plea. And there's a story of another passenger who's floating by on another piece of debris and the currents brought them close together. And John Harper yells out at him and says, do you know the Lord Jesus? And the man said, no, I don't believe I do. And the currents 
took him away, and as they're going away, he says, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. The currents ended up bringing them back together as Harper continues to scream out and yell, and he sees this young man back, and he says, do you know Jesus? No, I don't know Jesus. And he says, do you want to know Jesus? Because if you believe in the Lord Jesus, he will save you from your sins. This man's name was William John Meadows. That night, one lifeboat turned around and came back to pick up survivors. John Harper was already gone, but William John Meadows was still alive. The lifeboat picked him up, and he's a registered survivor in that lifeboat. And a year after the Titanic sank, they had a reunion of all of the survivors to come back together and tell their stories. And, And William John Meadows gets up to tell his story, and he vividly recalls somebody yelling out in the night, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. And he said at that reunion, he goes, That night my life was saved twice. I was saved by a lifeboat that came and rescued me, but I was saved because I met the Lord Jesus and he saved me from my sins. The call to follow Jesus, folks, is the same today where Jesus says, I'm going back to bang on doors. I'm going back into the hard places. I'm going back to look for the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. Will you still follow me? Will you still follow me? So today, we know his destination. My question to us is this. Are you following Jesus to his destination closely? Have you committed to believe and follow Jesus Christ? If you haven't, if you're the lost son, you can do that today. Or maybe you've been following Jesus, but there's become some distance between you and him. And the further away you get from Jesus, the more it becomes about you and rather the lost. Maybe today you need to recommit to follow Jesus closer and take that next step to come a little bit closer to him. I'm here to tell you, you can do that today. Or maybe you need to be the one that helps somebody else find their destination. That God's calling you and says, I want you to follow me. I got somebody over here I want you to meet and tell them about Jesus. They're just in the wrong place, and we need to go get them. We need to go seek out the lost. Maybe Jesus is saying to you today, who can you seek out for the Lord? Who can you seek out for the Lord? I want to pray for us today. I'm going to ask Matt if he'd come and just play softly. I want to just ask you to to stand with me as you're standing and putting things away, I just want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and, and we just want to talk, to talk to God for a moment. Father, we thank you so much for showing us your destination. That your destination today, your, your desire is for us to still follow you, but you're not going to stay in the safe sheep pen. You're going to leave the 99 there and go find the lost. And you look back at us in the pen and you say, hey, are you going to come with me? So God, I thank you for showing us your destination. 
today. God, I pray today that our hearts would be for following you no matter what. That our hearts would not be so impacted and influenced by the selfishness of this world, but rather we would say yes to following you and that our hearts would be directed with your spirit, your desire to see the lost saved. We pray that we'll be the ones to follow you, to find the lost sheep and to tell them about you. God, I pray that you'd help us all to be the ones that are pounding on the cabin doors saying, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. God, I pray that today we'd be like Ryan where you would put somebody in our hearts even this very moment that we want to pray with and go seek out. Father, help us to commit to following you. You haven't changed. You're still going after the lost. Would you help us to follow you and to go after the lost with you? As we continue in this attitude of prayer, maybe today you're the lost sheep. Maybe you're the lost coin. Maybe you're the lost son. And the Holy Spirit has prompted you and said, it's time to come home. It's time to start following me again. I love you. I've died for you. I want to make your life better so you can live with me forever. Maybe that's you today. He wants to welcome you back into a relationship with him. I just want to ask us all, if you would, and I know in this attitude of prayer that we can agree together for his forgiveness today. So would you just repeat this after me today? If this is you, would you repeat this? Heavenly Father, I give my life to Jesus. Save me. Forgive me of all my sins. Fill me with your spirit. I want to know you. And I want to follow you. Lead me to show your love. To be your light in a very dark world. I thank you for new life and I give you all of mine. In Jesus' name I pray. I believe that if we prayed that prayer today that Jesus has accepted us back into the fold, amen? God, I thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. Your word tells us that the angels in heaven rejoice when one lost person comes home. We claim victory today for the lost that have come home today. And we celebrate today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you just give the Lord a hand this morning and celebrate new life? Amen. I want to encourage you today as you go to go in his peace, in his truth, and follow after him wholeheartedly today. God bless you. Have a great day.